welcome to the show. I hope you're all doing well. I'm Gary, and this is episode five of Live Like You Love It, the podcast that celebrates the importance and impact of live music by taking you on stage, in the crowd, and behind the scenes through conversations with artists, fans, and those in the industry that make it happen. guest today is the incredible soul singer Rowetta. Hailing from Manchester, Rowetta is best known as a member of the Happy Mondays, recording and touring with the band from 1990 and recently reforming with the original lineup. She's also a formidable force in the dance scene, collaborating with the likes of Youssef, Todd Terry and Salado on some of the biggest house tunes on the planet. Rowetta wasn't part of the original Happy Mondays lineup, but she knew exactly what her vocals could give the band. Her first song with the band was Step On, and it was the highest selling single, flying to number five in the UK charts and even scoring them a place on the Billboard Top 100. We jumped on a video call in January 2021 and Rowetta was so open and generous with her time, sharing many, many incredible stories. From performing in the Hacienda every Wednesday night to suddenly playing in front of tens of thousands of people at the GMX Arena shortly after joining the Mondays. Her favorite live experiences are quite incredible, all glittered with star-studded encounters. Liam Gallagher, Prince, David Bowie, to name but a few. We chat about all of this and more, and of course, end the conversation as we always do by asking Rowetta why live music is so important. As always, thanks to the team at Example House, Sydney's co-working space for the hospitality and creative industries, for providing the studio to record this episode. Head over to livelikeyoulovepod.com to subscribe on all your favorite podcasting platforms and follow us on socials, where you will get extra content, sneak previews, and be the first to know about new episodes. Okay, that's enough of the intro. Let's get into the chat. I hope you enjoy it. This is the brilliant Rowetta. Rowetta, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm very well, thank you, considering. Yeah, I know, I know. Are you keeping yourself busy? You seem to be always on the go. Yeah, I am, um, because I record at home a lot. So I'm very, very lucky um, that I've got a studio at home. And um, all the people that I've always wanted to work with, they're not touring. So it's been a great opportunity to work with them. I'm not away touring. I could normally be in Ibiza in the summer. I got loads and loads of studio stuff done where we'd all be away normally. Everybody's away for months during the summer season. And then I'm normally on tour with the Mondays in the winter. So it was fantastic to, for the, in that respect, I mean, I hated the fact that um, I can't go out and do a gig, but I've really got my head down. Most mornings I sing, I'm recording something or writing. So it's been brilliant for that. So amazing you're finding the positive. So it's opened a few doors then, it sounds like. Yeah, but in, well, in the past, people have said they want to work with me, but we just don't have time. You say, like Salado, they were like, they're massive, but they're always away. And like Salado said, we should work together. We went in the studio about six years ago when they were a different band, but um, we should work together. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait. And then it's just, we never can because they're always away. You've got to be in the studio to, to do a good tune. So um, it's all right taking your laptop with you, but it's just not the same. I've got to be at home to do my vocals or get a studio. And I like doing them at home. And um, I work well with Salado. So that was brilliant because now we've done a couple of tunes together and I've done something else for their label for a guy in America. So that wouldn't be happening normally. And um, But a bad thing is not being able to perform the songs once you've written and sung them and recorded them. Not going out and being... It's, it's awful, um, especially with dance music, house music. It's... Um, 
So you've got to make sure you write some classics that are still going to be there when the club's all open. <laughs> that Solado tune that you mentioned there, that was like a throwback, that one, wasn't it? Yeah, it just suits my voice, that kind of 90s sound, the old school. So, um, And a lot of that, people are wanting that at the minute. So it's brilliant. It makes you even want to go out and um, perform. Yeah, I love it. It's just because it's infectious. Yeah, the DJs in America have just started playing it and Australia, actually, on the, oh, on the radio. So, um, yeah, some huge DJs and huge stations. So I'm like... Wow, because it's one of those tunes, it, it's just, it just makes you frustrated not being able to go, not necessarily to a rave, but to a festival or to a club. It's been frustrating not, not being able to. When you do dance music, it's hard. Um, having a whole tour uh, cancelled. All the festivals last year, I'm just remembering now, like with the Mondays, Glastonbury, Isle of Wight, all those. I was Glastonbury's 50th anniversary and I've done it now. I've done it three times in the past, two with Happy Mondays. One with um, Hacienda Classical, and I was doing it for the fourth time, and um, I was so excited. I was overexcited. I was showing clips of every time I played it before. Glastonbury is one of the best gigs, obviously, ever uh, to play and perform on the Pyramid stage. I want to get stuck into some live music conversations. It's played such a huge part in your life and your career. I want to talk about pre Mondays and what the live scene was like there. I'm going to talk about during the Mondays, what's, what gigs stand out for you? And then also your solo career, which has spanned out across all of that as well. There's some key moments in there. So that pre-Mondays period, you know, in the, in the 80s, talk to me about that live scene back then, because it seems like there was like this perfect storm of just like happiness and love and great music coming out of Manchester at that time. So the live scene must have been really buzzing. It was, but I wasn't around for it really, to be honest. I was in a bad marriage before I joined the Mondays, just up till 1987. I had two young children, I had a bad marriage and I left, went into a women's aid refuge and a lot of people know, so I'm not going through my life story, I'm just saying. So I wasn't doing anything, I wasn't active at all musically or going out. So 87, I left my husband and probably not till 89 when I started going out and the first time I would have gone to the Hacienda. The first time I remember going to the Hacienda and it was like an eye-opener for me. I'd been more into punk early days, so gone to more punk clubs. Yeah, I'd go to colleges where they had more punk music and mod really did go to um, a place called Legends, which was soul music, really, and hip hop. And that would have been 1982. And it's really funny. Legends was the place where Rope for Luck was filmed, actually. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, which ended up working in my favour because when I wasn't going to be joining the Happy Mondays, I asked Nathan to come to a gig at that venue. And uh, Nathan's the Mondays manager. And he, he said he doesn't. there's no, no room for a girl in the band. I went, you've not seen me yet. And after hanging around for about six months, I invited him to come and see me at that venue, which I used to go and party and disco all the time when it was more in the 82, probably when I was 16. I would have gone then. And yeah, I invited him to come and see me in, was it? It must have been 89 or no, 1990, the beginning, probably probably 31 years ago around this time, yeah, 1990. And he came to see me at Legends, probably in the January. And yeah, and honestly, two weeks later, I got a phone call that I'm in the Mondays from that gig. And it was just bizarrely at Legends where I used to go and dance every week. And there'd be great DJs on like Greg Wilson. Yeah, so, but I'd not done the rave scene. I can, I get embarrassed because I get asked to talk about the rave scene a lot. And it's like, it clips me really. And I do a lot of ravey tunes. And I'm into the music, but I was more Hacienda from um, late 89. Were you singing much in the Hacienda? Yeah, I sang the Hacienda on, um, I think it's a Wednesday night. I've still got the flyer. Ah, amazing. With my group Vanilla Soundcore and John De Silva and Mike Pickering were DJing. And it was on a Wednesday. I think tickets were two pounds. That would have been 1989. So I sang in the Hacienda before. Before I joined the Mondays, Void it was called. The night was called Void. I just I remember I've got this flyer and I love it. It's a piece of card. It's on the on the internet. Loads of people have the original flyers. And um, yeah, we had it with this one song out back where we belong. Thousand copies made on White Label. And then, I mean now they go for a lot of money. And it's it was just this song really really helped me out. I did a gig at the Boardwalk and um, 
this gig was, I, I couldn't remember it properly. I remember I had tights on a little mini skirt. I was dressed a bit like a little punk, little all in black with her bondage bits on and my tights stuck to the stage. I was sat for the first song was an instrumental with Vanilla Sound Call. This is my first band. There was only three of us in the band. The lads were doing their instrumental tune. And um, yeah, when I stood up to sing, my tights were stuck on the nails on the stage at the boardwalk. So I got these big rips coming up as I stood up and I got up on stage and then, um, and it was a really sexy, fabulous, punky outfit. And um, the lighting guy was called uh, Bruce Mitchell. And he's from a group called the Jurassic Column. Uh, this drummer from the Jurassic Column, but he's also known for doing lights. So he did the lights at the boardwalk. And he gave um, Elliot Rashman a call the next day, the next morning, and said, you have to sign this girl. Elliot Rashman managed Simply Red. And um, so he said, you must sign this girl. She's amazing. And so I got this phone call from his Elliot Rashman's office and I thought it was a joke. It's like Simply Red's manager wants to wants you to come in tomorrow. He'd like to invest in you and sign you. This is before meeting him. So I went to, uh, to see him and yeah, and he just signed me up and the band. And but he's going, you're going to be a big star and all this. Yeah, I'm going to do to you, do for you what I did for Mick Hucknall. And so it was amazing. Yeah. And that was that was 1989, I think. Yeah. So, you know, when you're on stage at the Hacienda and you're performing, I want to talk specifically about that. Obviously, in hindsight, looking back, everyone knows what an incredible place it was and such an important part of musical history. But did it feel special, like something was happening at that time when you were performing? Did you know every Wednesday night when you went back, you know, something special was happening here? It was probably a little bit later, to be honest. I mean, there was this summer of love, but I didn't I didn't go every week then I did later on once it was in the Mondays I used to go all the time because I got away with it because my mum would babysit because she thought well, that's I'm working <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be working every Thursday Friday Saturday <laughs> I might have to work on a Sunday as well and get home early because I'd be going to dry bar <laughs> with a hangover yeah I just used to I used to go every night once the kids were in bed it was like party time <laughs> and yeah and so my mum I would say oh I'm rehearsing with the Mondays at the Hacienda so every night yeah earlier on though I didn't realise really at the scene because I started to tour a little bit with Vanilla Sound and I got young children so I didn't go out all the time it was more reviews things like reviews of our gigs in like record mirror melody maker things like that would start to talk about me and not necessarily my name but the girl from vanilla sound core was amazing I remember Mike Pickering did this most amazing review about back where we belong and saying he wanted to work with me and I was like wow so I did I worked with him and Graham Park with a group called Dynasty of Two they called themselves featuring Rowetta and it was called Stop This Thing yeah and it was on Deconstruction which was a great label so that came out probably, I think that was 89, all before I joined the Mondays. So yeah, it was, um, it was a good time. Your single, Reach Out, did you perform that at the Hacienda or, or did you tour that around Manchester at all? No, it didn't. Literally just recorded it with Sweet Mercy in a studio. Then that was it. And there's um, a few of them were made. I didn't even have the record, to be honest. I didn't have the vinyl at the time. I've just actually got sent a copy the other day from um, a fan who bought it for quite a lot of money, which is nice because they're very, very rare, those singles. The actual uh, 12 inches, there was only so much, maybe 500 made. And then I went in the Hacienda maybe a year later, maybe it was in, uh, probably in the Happy Mondays, 1990, I think. And I could hear through the speakers. I'm like, that sounds like me. But it wasn't that tune. It was a completely different tune. I was like, how do you, I didn't even know you could do that. I didn't know you could sample. And I didn't know there'd been an acapella on the back of this 12 inch. So I didn't know. I was like, how have they taken my voice off, reach out and put it on this tune? It was Slammy Turner. And I was like, what and I got, went up to the DJ. I don't know which DJ it was that played it. I went up to the DJ box and said, "What's this tune?" And he said, "Slammy Turner." It meant nothing. So I thought, oh, "It can't have been me. It must be hallucinating. Somebody's obviously spied me." And then I'd hear it again. It's uh, Todd, Todd Terry. I go and ask the DJ, "What's this?" And it was called the group was called Lime Life. Never heard of them. Baby, can you reach? 
well, reach out. That's that. And that's definitely me, but they speeded my voice up. Anyway, Lime Life was Todd Terry and it speeded my voice up and to this baby, can you reach? But no permission. You know, they just were using it. So I kept hearing my voice all the time in clubs and it was, it was fantastic. Very flattering. But you don't get money, you don't get credited. And to this day, I mean, when I see Todd, um, when I started to see him a lot in Ibiza and stuff, and I was and, and at certain gigs, and I said, you need to stop doing it now. He's reissued these tunes and he's playing them and he's still not saying it's my voice. So it's not fair. So uh, now we've done a few tunes together after me telling him off loads. Because um, at first you're a bit in awe. It's like, it's Todd Terry in that now. It's like, I've been in the studio, been in the studio with him. It's like, hi, Todd. You're right. Stop doing that <laughs> now. Because um, it is naughty. Um, if it's all about the money, you can keep the money, but just mention my name. Um, a lot of these big time ones, though, they've got big egos, but then they haven't all. So there's a lot of people I've worked with that are huge stars. And you think, no wonder, and you just deserve it. Like Oliver Heldens, I worked with last year. He's just, he always makes sure that I'm mentioned, you know, and if I'm not mentioned, he says, and Rowetta has been amazing on this, you know, and he's got three point something million followers. He doesn't have to mention me and he does. And that's, it's, you know, he's a big star around the world and, you know, he's only 25 and he's fantastic. He's brilliant. Straight away when I said, um, please, can you make sure I'm mentioned? He always has done, but he also said, here's my number. If you've ever got a problem with anything, just ring me. And that's really cool. He's really lucky I don't fancy him or I'd be on the phone to him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no he's too young but no he's, he's what a, he's, he's just a great great guy i've got to say that you've already mentioned about uh, joining the mondays what i was interested in it didn't seem like it was very long between you joining recording on pills and thrills and then being at that gmex gig it really wasn't it, you know it's i think i did i think i recorded the end of february recorded it went down to do i think i was doing tokolosh man and then they changed when i did step on first i think it was going to be a b-side or a tune on electra and because because it went so well, they said Step On's got to be the single, not Tokolosh Man. Tokolosh Man will be on the Electra album in America. When I put my vocals on, it really lifted it, but um, the keyboard, everything, it just came together and you just knew it was going to be a big hit. It feels like with that song especially, like the Mondays just hit this groove with your vocals coming in. I mean, they've been together a while, but it really did come together, didn't it? Well, that's the way I wanted it to work because I, I remember Gloria from T-Rex did the same for me in T-Rex. When the girl's voice comes in, Get on, get it on, and songs like that. It really yeah. lifts the tune. So that's when I was um, saying to Nathan, and he was saying no. I was saying this is what I can do with Happy Mondays because I'm a punk, but I've not got a punk voice. But I think I can do what Gloria did to T Rex, and I think I did that. I'm really proud that it worked. But it was like I was so excited because I've been following the guys around for about six months and said I wanted to join them. And when Nathan saw me at this gig at Legends couple of weeks later it's that gig that changed his mind not you know I, yes I can sing but it, I hadn't sent him any demos of me singing he didn't even know if I could sing until he saw me because I've just not that I still don't hand out demos or send people things I'm not really good at doing all that if you like me then you, you'll have had to discover me yourself I've not pushed anything your way so I didn't go and sing in Nathan's face I just ended up going you know it seemed he knew me by then he liked me but he was saying this, there's no room for a girl and I handed him a ticket it's that gig and the importance of a gig when you're a good performer is everything and um, when he saw me he said you, you're effing madder than they are <laughs> which is great I think I was <laughs> I was sat on the stage at Legends just pouring whiskey in the corner when it wasn't my turn to sing you know when, when I wasn't singing <laughs> and I got this like fur coat on and a, a tiny little black mini skirt and yeah, and it worked anyway. It was just, it's just when you, when you, a big, I had a big red, loads of big red hair as well. And, um, it must have, I think it was then he thought, oh, this might work with the Mondays. You know, I never, I never met Sean, but it, it was just great that, that a gig can do that. And then my first gig after singing with them, 
uh, would have been in March. So just probably three, four weeks after recording because the single came out. But my first gig with them was GMEX, which is huge in Manchester. And then uh, we did two gigs in, at GMEX and then a gig at Wembley. And I, when I wanted to join the band, they were doing like um, halls. I went and saw them at Queen Elizabeth Hall in Widnes, just, you know, probably holds a thousand at the max, you know. And then you were doing two nights sold out at GMEX think of the back of it. well step on i think sean's still reading his words so he didn't really know the song yet i went back and had a look at the video uh, on youtube like yeah he's, he's holding the paper yeah. isn't he reading the lyrics what was the gig like for you it was amazing there were two gigs it was the and i went to the house the end of the night before the first one so i went to the house center on the friday night and sean was there and i'd not met him yet i'd met the others yeah so i spoke to him very very briefly and he said you're gonna hear him a bastard i think he said yeah i am but i'm all right really or something our kid's worse than me then the next thing I know, I'm, I'm going to be playing. He went, oh, and then that's when he said, would you like, do you want to sing with us? I'd not been asked yet to sing with them at GMX. And he said, do you want to come on stage with us tomorrow? And I went, I'd love to. So I didn't even know I was doing it. And he's like, what am I going to wear? You know, I went home and I, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and to do the two nights and it was just phenomenal. Yeah, I didn't know I was going to be doing it till the night before. So it was exciting. The whole of Manchester seemed to be going to this gig. That's what it felt like. We were staying at the Midland Hotel. But when I went for sound check. Everybody like had Happy Mondays. It seemed like everybody had Happy Mondays t-shirts on or bucket hats or Joe Bloggs clothes or whatever. It all looked, it felt like everyone was going to this gig and they didn't really know me yet. So I wasn't getting any attention or anything. It was just, I just could observe um, like a punter. And just, I mean, after that, that weekend, I mean, by this Sunday, it's probably Monday, a lot of the, a lot of people had come to Manchester to see these gigs. They were both sold out and Everybody was walking around. And then when I came out of the hotel, it was different. Loads of people going, oh, my God, you were amazing. That's you. Is that a girl with the Mondays on, on Saturday night or Sunday night? And it was um, brilliant. It was um, amazing to be recognised for doing something like that because everybody in Manchester that weekend, it was just they were buzzing because of the Mondays. And um, yeah, it was fantastic. And then to do Wembley as well. Just brilliant for your first gigs with a band. Remember, we were doing Top of the Pops. But really, very, very quickly doing stuff like that. And then it didn't seem to stop. It just seemed to be, we've got Morgan, we're doing Glastonbury, and we're doing this, we're doing Ibiza, the Cool Club. It was just constant that year. And we're in Smash Hits, then we're doing a tour, and then we're doing America. It was Europe. It was It was just one thing after another. It was like non-stop, and it was like, oh, my God. I mean, the good thing was we didn't go away for too long, apart from America, which was six weeks. The rest of the tours, we were only away for, I think we did Europe in two weeks. So, because I got young children, it was it worked really well. I didn't have to be away too long, apart from the American tour. So it's great, but constantly working, but loving every single second of it. So all of those tours that you've mentioned there, when you look back on your time at the Mondays, and I know it's still going on, what are the actual gigs that stand out for you? And it doesn't have to be like the biggest, and it doesn't have to be the career-defining. Just which ones stand out to you and pop into your mind when you think about those times? I mean, obviously the big ones, the reason, a lot of the time, a lot of the reason we remember them or I remember them is because you see video clips, because there weren't very many videos. But I remember definitely, and everyone loves Ellen Road, and I love the fact that it was recorded, audio, the audio was recorded, it came out on an album, but there's no video footage. There was a guy who climbed up on the floodlights. Um, a photo of him's just been discovered, um, which is amazing. Um, he just climbed up right to the top of the floodlights at the beginning of the gig uh, and didn't die, which is amazing, at, Lee at Leeds, Ellen Road. But there was no video footage um, because back then nobody had camera phones. No, people didn't film things the same. But that was a really special gig and the lineup was great. 
and to play the Leeds football ground where it, I'm, I'm a big United fan, but um, we're enemies. I know that, yeah. We're, we're enemies, really, Leeds and United. Big time, fan. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I mean, I still now, when we play now, when we play Leeds, I usually sneak on a little United shirt at the end. <laughs> Other ones would be Barrowlands because the first time we played, I played Scotland would have been, I think the first time would have been the SECC, which was great. But Barrowlands, I used to always say when people say, where's the best place, best gig? It would always be Glasgow Barrowlands because I never beat whatever I heard before I went on. Paul Oakenfold played a tune that we went on to. I think it might have been Massive Attack we used to go on to. Unfinished Sympathy, yeah. We used to always play that before we went on. But I don't know if it was that song or the one before, but he put on a tune and the crowd, it sounded like there was a riot. And I was in my dressing room and I went, what's happened? It's just, a, it sounded like the whole crowd was kicking off. And then the tour manager came and said, no, oh, it's just Paul Oakenfold's played a tune the crowd like. You know, and it's like, it sounded like someone had scored a goal, you know, like for Scotland. It was just something that just, it just, it didn't sound like fighting, but it sounded like it was kicking off or something. Something massive was happening. And it was literally just the tune that came on because I think the fans knew that meant we were about to come on as well, which is a, a great feeling. And to go on stage to that, you can't beat a Glasgow crowd. A lot of people say it. Um, no, I think, you can't, can no, you? No, I think Manny says it. I mean, obviously we're from Manchester, we play Manchester, it's great. You expect that. Um, Ireland's great crowd. Australia, loads of great crowds, to be fair. Yeah. But a lot of people are from Manchester and Scotland are from all over. They've gone over. <laughs> the expats over here, there's loads of them, Roetto. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen to me. <laughs> well, I know we sold out over in Australia last year when we came. I was, I was there. Europe. Yeah. So we did really, really well when we went, we went to Australia because I thought they're never going to forgive us because we cancelled so many tours. Well, the management. No, the, diff- the different managers yeah. we've had. And like people would come, they think it's the band that, as if the band would cancel a tour. It's always something to do with the promoter, the agent, the money or whatever, and the manager. And we're gutted. I had my, I'd got our visas. I, you know, I was already all packed to go the last time they cancelled. And then I got told like four days before it started happening. I was like, how the fuck are you going to tell fans that who already planned to travel? You know, you pay for hotels and travel. I hate that when they cancel a few days before. And we're getting attacked because people think it's the band. They knew you wouldn't come. So, so it is, it's awful because we would never, ever, I've never cancelled a gig. You know, I can be ill and I'll still turn up and give it my all. You know, it's not the end of the world. I usually, I usually manage to get through a gig even if I've got a bad throat or cold. But yeah, no, I would never cancel a gig. And the, and the band are like that. I have to say that with the Mondays. They're not really up for cancelling stuff for any reason. We've turned up in all sorts of messes to gigs as um, Happy Mondays. And I can imagine. Do, yeah, and when there's you know, not talking, these fights going on. I, I think we did um, one great British weekend, and that was um, 30 years ago to the day, just this week. And I remember, I think, I think PD, our keyboard player, threw his keyboard at Sean on stage at Wembley. Um, You're kidding me. No, when they're not getting on, we, the gigs go ahead. But yeah, no, it's re- it got really bad. Oh, there's been lots and lots of... Um, but yeah, it, it, I was, I, it was on a song I just walked off and he threw his keyboard at Sean. Because Sean says things... Is that the worst? No, Sean says, th- Sean says things over the microphone so, and it winds all of us up sometimes back in the day. And, you know, with each one of us, I'd have really bad arguments with him. But uh, especially his brother, he'd say things... Because he's got the microphone, he can, and I've got a microphone too. So if he starts on me... We'll end up with an argument. We haven't argued for so long now. We get on now. It's great. Because as well, he arrives just before a gig and he goes just after. So it's fantastic. <laughs> and I would hope that if he stayed, stayed a bit longer, we would get on. And we do, to be honest. Like there's some festivals where we do spend a little bit of time together, maybe 10 minutes. And we do get on now. We've done a bit of filming together and we get on. 
But um, I think if you spend too long with Sean, we'd probably end up falling out. I don't know. Because everybody's got history with him where we fell out back in the past. We don't want to risk it because it's too important because I think we're so lucky to be still touring, still gigging. It's like myself with my voice. I really look after it now where I didn't necessarily used to. I stopped smoking eight years ago. I don't do the late, late nights unless Bez makes me or we do an after party. Then um, <laughs> I don't really do, you know, because you've got to look after yourself because I, to continue this because, you know, we're not getting any younger. Last tour, we did a 30 day tour. Me and Bez had proper knee braces on at the end of it. We were, our knees had gone from doing pogoing and jumping them and down. I've seen footage of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw on Bez's knees anyway, yeah. They actually look all right. So I started wearing them as well. But <laughs> at the beginning, I was like, I'm not wearing them. You know, they won't look right with my boots and stuff. Different times. I was looking back at the gigs that I've seen you, Roberta. The one that stood out for me was uh, Wembley Stadium when you supported Oasis. Um, how good would it have been to play at the National Stadium? It was, um, not because it's a national stadium, but it's just, it's Wembley Stadium where they did Live Aid. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it was knocked down not long after that gig as well, wasn't it? It was. It was absolutely amazing as well, because Oasis, I just loved that tour with them. They were just so amazing live. Liam used to sit in our dressing room all the time and say, why can't my band be like this at the time? Because it wasn't all the original members, because I know he gets on with Bonehead really well and stuff. But um, Liam used to just come and hang out with us. But I'd say... You're in my room because Bez was in my room. I, uh, me and Bez spent a lot of time. This band is just the same as your band. You know, the brothers don't get on in our band. It's just you're sat with me and Bez. So it's not all sweetness and light in our band either. In my room before a gig, it's always sweetness and light. You know, so you can come. He's always welcome to come into my room or Bez's room. And he was just a little angel and he's a great performer and not big headed at all. And nothing like he can sometimes come across. He was really a sweetheart. And we had so much fun and, and going on stage at Wembley Stadium with, I think it was Doves one night and Johnny Marr the next. And um, we just, I thought we were phenomenal. I thought we played really well. Um, we're really good at big, big gigs. I mean, we did Maracana Stadium, Rock in Rio. I think, yeah, I, I don't think it faces us with a big, big crowd. And, and we've got really big sound. We've got, we always have a good sound engineer who really blasts it out as loud as you can, you know, when there's a limit on to how loud you can have it. Our sound engineer usually ignores that and we usually get a fine. Well, used to always get fined for being too loud and going over on time because you've got to finish it at 10 or finish it at 11. Um, but no, the fines end up too much. You know, it's not worth doing a gig sometimes because the fines are too much. Nowadays, we stop. when If it says we finish it at 11, we finish it at 5 too. Yeah, because it's not worth it. It's not worth doing the gigs. It's really expensive to do it where it used to be a laugh we used you know i used to get my pvc ironed my knickers dry cleaned i used to you, know, you just you just didn't care back in the day but then you start thinking it's coming out of our money we think it's dead money and it's like oh shit you know ordering room service ordering champagne people like not me i don't drink champagne but you know like paying someone to go and get you some whiskey from the shop it's coming out of our money and what was the reunion gig like, you know, in 2012, I think it would have yeah. been when you all got back together. That must have been a nice feeling to be back on stage. With the original lineup. Amazing. Yeah. Because I never, ever thought that would happen. So we'd all left at various times and it ended up, I think it was just Sean in the band of the original lineup in the end. Yeah. So it was, it was brilliant because you don't know what it's going to be like and how people receive it. But we sold out that tour. And when we first did Manchester Arena, I think we did a, um, a warm up gig somewhere first. It was it was phenomenal. It was just incredible, the feeling and how good it felt to be back on stage doing those songs and how great the songs sounded, you know, and the little tweaks in the arrangements and things. But it was just, it was beautiful to do it with the whole original lineup. Mark Day hadn't picked up a guitar for years since he fell out with Sean. Really? It was ni 18 or 19 years he didn't play for. 
on a stage since his fallout with Sean. I didn't speak to Sean for 12 years, but I carried on singing, obviously. But the keyboard player and the guitarist, it was 18 or 19 years. So when we split up in 1992, and I think officially 93, there was nothing until we reformed in 2012 for wow. Mark Day. So it was like amazing for him. And he's such a great guitarist. He often gets overlooked and he's just brilliant. You know, when they talk about the Stone Roses and Johnny Marr and everybody, they should also include Mark Day all the time in Manchester. Great guitarist. Or even... Yeah, incredible. Yeah, all guitarists. Now Rogers said he loved the Happy Mondays, isn't it? That will be because of the guitars. Because he's a guitarist. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And me, obviously, because I go with now. <laughs> But, well, you're yeah. two good mates, aren't you? Yeah, we don't. Yeah, I love him. He's just so kind and normal and down to earth. Because when we were kids, we both glue sniffed. I'd say it's that. It's got to be that. <laughs> because there's a little crew of us that we. It's not not very talked about. But when you're kids, if you do that, you've, there's obviously a reason why you're allowed to do it for over a year and become addicted to that extent. So it's obviously um, something about your upbringing and stuff. <laughs> My kids would not have been allowed to glue sniff for a year. But he's so lovely with me, which is brilliant at gigs. And we get to get dance on stage with him. It's a good times. I've danced on stage with him now quite a few times, which is amazing. He always says, are you coming up? And there was one, I remember when he did the Ritz and he said, where are you? I got a message saying, where are you? And I went, no, I've got a cold. I really had a bad cold. I went to the gig, but I kept, I didn't want to go. With, I'm saying no to going on stage with Sheik. I know. And, um, and, <laughs> I know. and so he said, are you coming before or after the show? And I'm like, no, I can't. You know, and it's like Johnny Ma was on stage as well. I was like, oh God. But I was sneezing, I proper had a cold, so I just I didn't want to give it any of the band because it's it's um yeah, it's terrible. It's it is it for um, a musician it is like having this virus. You can't do anything when you've when you've got like fluid symptoms. Oh, Rowetta, so many amazing stories. One last question on gigs before I ask you about the importance of live music. As a solo artist, obviously you've done a lot of stuff throughout all of those years that you've spoken about. What are the gigs that stand out for you there? I know you're, you're quite, you're a regular over in Ibiza and I still consider those like DJ sets with singers and I still consider that live music and, and, and part of this conversation because it brings people together. Which one stand out for you as a solo artist? Well, Hassi and the Classical, even though I was with an orchestra um, at Glastonbury, opening Glastonbury, I did the minute silence. I was there. I watched that. It was amazing. Yeah. Wow. I did the minute silence with Peter Hook. And when I got on stage that day, that is like doing a solo gig. And Bez was on stage with me as well. But it is, I'm, I'm singing it and it's like with an orchestra. And that was phenomenal. So that's definitely one of my favourites. Because of the emotion as well, because of the Manchester Arena bombing and stuff. Yeah. I've been on the Andrew Marr show over here, the political show, and sung it with the string quartet from the Manchester Camerata, which was really special. But yeah, always with an orchestra. I love singing with orchestras. I've done a few with the BBC Philharmonic. I've done Manchester versus Cancer with the BBC Philharmonic, the band James and Peter Hook, and we did Atmosphere, and that was beautiful, absolutely stunning. That's on, you can get see that on YouTube as well, but that was a great gig. I've watched it. Yeah, it's, it's great. great. It's a great, I mean, it's only somebody from the audience filmed it, but it's great. Singing in Ibiza is always special. I've done it with the Mondays many times, but I, it's like, you know, you know everybody now, and, and I've done quite a few manumission gigs, which are always special because they have am amazing dancers. I think we might be doing something, if gigs are allowed again this year, Manumission might be doing something. I'll be with them. I, I did something with them New Year's Eve in Barcelona the year before last. And that was really special. They had like acrobats and all that doing stuff while I was on stage. And I was dressed up. I was dressed up as Etta James and but singing my own songs and singing house tunes as well. So I love things with a twist rather than just a straight thing. And because a lot of the DJ sets where my voice is played, I'm, I'm I mean, I, I get proud as if I'm there, but I'm not there. It's the DJs there, really. Tomorrowland looks amazing. I would love to do Tomorrowland if they let singers do it because I'm, I've been played by Steve Angelo, Swedish House Mafia, Nervo. Loads of people have played me there. 
And I've got uh, Hardwell's done a lot of gigs where he's singing the words as if he's singing the song of my, of my vocal. And it's like, I would love to do some of these gigs with these DJs who play or on my own. So I'm, I'm trying to use this period to get myself known so that when we can sing again, get myself well known within that world, which I have done now. People know me more. I've got two tunes out right now with Salado and Yusef, who are both massive. So when the clubs start, I'm hoping, it's like things like Creamfields, which is huge. I've always played a lot of Creamfields. Maybe this year I could sing at Creamfields because three of the people I had tunes out with in 2020, Oliver Heldens, Salado and Yusef are all playing there. So sure that they can squeeze me in. I love that Yusef tune. It's brilliant. Really good. And listen, if you're performing in Ibiza this year, I was meant to get married in Ibiza. May just gone. We postponed it to this May coming and we've just postponed it again to 2022. We can't even travel. So we might, if we can travel, I still might go to Ibiza on holiday. So I'll keep an eye out if you are performing. I might see you because I'm usually there. I'm, I'm, I've booked again for April, but I'm always there May, April, May, June. That's when I, I like to go for my little breaks and work out what, what and work out what I'm going to do because there's no the season's not. It might start earlier though, you know, once we start opening yeah. up. But I don't like it when it's boiling hot. When it's boiling hot, and that's when my gigs come in, and because the, the clubs are all open, I'm usually in and out. <laughs> Sing yeah, and you, bang. you back to the aircon. Uh, yeah, you, you're singing at three in the morning. You're knackered. You get pissed, and then you, he's like, "Oh God, yeah, fly in, sing that night at a ridiculous hour, like three or four. Because I always go, "Can I sing at two? Sing at one? Because you know, all your friends are enjoying. Yeah, I yeah. can't enjoy myself until I've sung properly. So it's like, yeah. So I'll, I'll go on stage sometimes at half past three in the morning, and then spend a day recovering and get on that midnight flight back home is like literally don't do much so those are the summer because it is too hot for me i won't i can't walk to the shop i'm boiling so yeah i don't i don't know how you manage in australia because it's hot a lot is it hot now yeah it is hot at the moment yeah we're banging summer yeah because i, can't, I think i think we toured though february but we just just managed to miss bad heat waves you know we'd go from uh, city to city but somebody said oh you're lucky you're not here today row to it be the day after i just miss it when it you know when it went up above 30 i was really lucky that year that i just kept missing because i can't i can't breathe we did a festival in meredith meredith um I can't remember the fest in um in melbourne i think it is uh we did some a festival and it was outdoors and i was like the, the temperature the day before i would have died when it's outdoors even because it was over 30 but we we're very very lucky it only got to 28 or something I'm like thank goodness for that even though it, it doesn't kill you it does get crazy yeah. we've had a few days recently like over 40 oh no yeah honestly it's insane it's too much you already mentioned James once. You've got a tour lined up with those guys. Yeah, we have a tour lined up with James and it's an arena tour and fingers crossed because you don't know whether these things are going to happen. But because Is it March? No, not till November. Oh, November, great. Yeah, my next gig is supposed to be March, but the James tour isn't till November. Where everybody's aware that it just keeps getting put back. Yeah, November, December, it's only about eight gigs. And to be honest, we did a 30-day tour last, well, in 2019, and it is knackering through November and December. It was great because it's more academies, the size of um, academies, about 2,000 people, 3,000 people. So we did 30 of those and some smaller ones, but we managed to get to lots and lots of cities, which was great. But this one, we're not getting to as many cities, obviously, we're only doing about eight, but it's arenas. And it's it's great to be doing that because it's um it's it's easier than doing 30 days, to be honest, for the travelling. I love the fact that we still do well on those tours. I mean, Australia and New Zealand, I think we did something like 12 gigs in 15 days or something. Was it that tight? Yeah, and we did after me and Bez were doing after parties as well with Alan McGee. 
And it's like, so we'd, we'd come off stage at four or come out, out of the club at four o'clock in the morning and then have a flight at half six to somewhere else because whoever sorted this tour out, it was, I didn't know the, I'm really bad at geography, but it was going from one side of Australia to the other. Oh, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, but instead of putting the one, like when we did New Zealand, they didn't put, I don't know which one, they put us right the other side. After New Zealand, we flew right the other side to come right back near New Zealand. And I was like, oh, no, you look at the map and you're going, oh, my goodness, we're literally going side to side to side. But obviously, it's when the venues are are, um, available. So it just didn't make sense geographically because we were flying long flights. Roberta, I did see that. I was looking back over your gigs over here as well. And I did see that you went to New Zealand and came back, I think, didn't you? Yeah, well, people over there were saying the order doesn't make sense because they were going to try and make, you know, try and do two gigs at, at a time. Yeah. And it just didn't make sense. And whoever's put this together isn't coming with you, somebody said. And I was like, it's probably the availability of the venues, I presume. I didn't get jet lag and I don't know why. And I kept going, it'll hit me tomorrow. Because me and Bess had a gig before before we got the flight as well. And we decided to just stay up. We did a gig in Blackburn and then we had to drive down to London. And we decided to stay up the whole night and just go with it all the way to the flight to Australia I think we, I don't know where we stopped on the way we'll have stopped somewhere we didn't do direct uh, but we just yeah we decided to try and stay awake until we got on that flight you just crashed on the plane yeah and it worked <laughs> it did it worked so yeah it's <laughs> setting the standard there Roberta for when I go home <laughs> <laughs> you stay awake the night before and then you, you crash on the plane yeah. you make sure you're not sat next to beds I actually rearranged our seats on my app <laughs> they put us next to each other and I moved him I moved, I moved him to behind me so he couldn't ask because he orders me about when his wife's not there. He's like his missus. He's like that. Can you get me this? Can you do that? And he's a nuisance. So he couldn't believe I'd moved him. When he's going, oh, why, how come you're sat over there? Oh, how come you're sat up there? I'm, I'm sat <laughs> right near the front, and he's right near the back of our. It's, I think we used to go business class, so which is cool. Yeah, so it was, it was lovely. I managed to get asleep without mithering. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and no, I enjoyed it, but I loved it. And, you know, I was hoping to go back. We, there was talk we were going to go back last year with another band and that would have been fantastic. But obviously um, events that happened stopped all that. Oh, well, I hope you do get out here again. So do I. It might be the only place we play if it carries on like that over here. <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah. Do you know what, Roberta? I've said that a few times. I said, I can see bands coming over here, do the two-week isolation and then tour the country. Yeah, well, I know Salado, they've done like Dubai because you can, and like they're going to America, I think, because these places in America where the people are, you, you know, you're socially distanced, but the, it's it's happening, and they'll probably do Australia before we do, but because Salado is only two of them as well, and they can do that, and it's I'm going to have to start doing gigs with them if that happens. But um, Yeah, totally, yeah. Get jump on that, right, <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Well, we, we have done a follow-up tune, because it's never cost-effective when you've done one song, which I realised would step on, because Monday's manager would have me on sample and say, oh, we're not taking Rosa to Ibiza, because she's only on one song, it's not cost-effective. So I actually won a competition to see the Mondays in Ibiza because of it and uh, end up staying longer. And uh, people couldn't believe it. People thought because uh, uh, you had to go to a building for the Manchester Evening News City Life with a bar of chocolate first thing in the morning. And when I got there, people thought I was handing out the prize. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> so that was in 1990 to go yeah. on the Ibiza tour with Mondays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, do you want to go do, do that gig at the Koo Club, which is now Privilege? Uh, yeah. And, and, and it was manumission for a while. So, yeah, it was just so funny that I actually won because I was the first one there because I had young kids and I dropped the kids off school. In fact, my mum dropped me at the building and then went and took the kids to school. So I was there first (laughs) with my bar of chocolate. That's amazing. You won a trip to play with your band. (laughs) Yeah, but then then I ended up doing the album, um, more songs on the album. And so I ended up being part of the band. But when you just own one song, they quite often go, oh, well, just it's like Salado. They'll only play the tune. But I'm going to start asking when gigs start because we haven't done a lot. 
can I come and do some of the gigs that are doable? Because I'm definitely going to go and travel and see Salado play and Youssef play and all the people I've done tunes with. I'm definitely because I'm going to be so excited to say, there's my guy playing my tune or my guy's playing my tune. And, I, you know, I'll be buzzing. I didn't used to do that so much before because I was always working myself anyway. But I'm definitely going to do it more now. Go and see the bands and see them play, you know, rather than just wait for someone to send me a video of them. Because I've missed travelling so much. I'm going to travel as much as possible. You seem like you get like a real buzz from being around that live scene and being amongst the people and the artists. Just get that sense of real like excitement about live music from you. I do. Well, I do certainly. I know some people get very nervous about going on stage and things, but I've been doing it so long and I started at the worst type of places or the most difficult working men's clubs and stuff like that, talent competitions, doing working men's clubs where, especially in Manchester, they're very, very, if you can't sing, they'll say, get off. There's no, no messing about. If you're rubbish, you, you'll be told you're rubbish or they'll walk out or, the, or they've said, well, you can be singing and they'll say, bingo, tickets are on sale. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody everybody leaves the room. So when I did that when I was 15, 16, it's made it so much easier now that I just get excited for gigs. I just love everything about it. I love the build-up. I love the backstage. I love afterwards when, when your friends come back then. I like the after after bits. I love doing after parties um, where I sing and Bez dances and does what Bez does and is on a mic. I just, I love doing the after parties. That's when I do really club, really club tunes. I do my tunes. I do covers. Do you do them most times when you're touring with the Mondays now? No, I'm saying when we did the 30 date tour, I can't do every night because I need to sleep because I've got a voice. Bez does a lot more than me because he can, you know, and he can stay up all night every night. But I have to be sensible. So try and do one or two a week. Obviously, some of the cities are more important to do them than others. Actually, Rowette, when you played the Enmore Theatre in Sydney, I was at an after party and it was like it was an indie night and Bez came in. We were speaking to him. Yeah. I remember that now, yeah. Yeah, was it a step on thing? I think step on, yeah, 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 with Johnny, yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, and somebody took the piss, and so I said I wasn't going to go, but I wasn't booked to go anyway. But I remember somebody took the piss. He was just said he asked me to. This is backstage. Somebody said just as a joke, can you just hold this for me while he took a picture of Bez, and he was joking, and I thought it was really rude in the dressing room to do that, but he was just joking, and then he was nearly crying by the end of it. Bez is going, please, Robert, forgive him, and and come. nope. <laughs> No. <laughs> was that Johnny from Stefan? I don't know who it, uh, the name of the guy, but I felt sorry for him because he was just having a laugh saying, will you hold that while I take a picture oh. of Ben? Or will I take a picture of him and Ben? Whatever it was. But I just thought he was he was having a laugh. <laughs> yeah, no, backstage I can be a bit funny because we've just come off stage, we're full of adrenaline. <laughs> but I, I, I felt sorry for him. Ben's going, please, Ro, just forgive the guy. No. <laughs> I'm glad to have been there. But we, I did a few official ones. We did New Zealand with Alan McGee. And I, did, I think I did about three of them because like I say, I can't do them all anyway because but usually if if i'm gonna go it's fine if i'm gonna go with bez i'll end up staying anyway so i might as well do them but i was you've got to try it you've really got to um when you're a singer you've got to get some sleep at some points because quite often you go to your room you can't sleep anyway so you might as well be out you're buzzing right yeah as long as nobody comes back with you (laughs) to the hotel because it it just ends up going out it's more the talking and staying up all night you just you it's it's like it wrecks your voice you have to sleep and i've learned that with with them as i got older i've stopped smoking but there's no point if i'm going to talk all night you know it's um, it's better than smoking but it's still you've got to sleep and rest your voice i find that the best thing right Roetta. The importance of live music. A couple of questions for you just to sort of sum up. This is the theme and the point of the show. So I've had some great answers so far. So I'm really looking forward to see what yours are. No pressure. So as a fan, what's your best live music experience? Oh, well, I loved when we did Rock in Rio because we were really blessed that we got so close to Prince. It was amazing. Oh, wow. And George Michael actually was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, Prince, 
every time I've seen Prince, but to be that close, we were allowed to stand at the side of the stage as long as we didn't have any eye contact with him. Really? So we were allowed to watch it from the side. Yeah. And so it was weird. Yeah. And then, and then after a couple of songs, they changed the mind and put a screen up so we couldn't see anything, but we could stand there and listen if we wanted. So I decided to walk to another area where I could sit at the side and watch because I wanted to watch the gig and it was brilliant. So that was fantastic. I do love George Michael and he's gone. It's just sad that people that were there that have gone. Also, live experience. I love, obviously, the first time I saw Sheik and got to dance with him at Part Life, I think it was. Now Rogers was so lovely. But to dance on stage with some of your heroes, sometimes it's like, wow! And he's like, hey, Ro. And I've stood, and we, there was this private gig in London where there's only 200 people allowed. And it was called One Night... One Night With or something, I can't remember, it's for an American, I think it might have been for Netflix, but it was for an American channel, I think. There's only 200 people there, I think Don Letts was there, there wasn't many people there. And I got on stage to dance for good times, and I'm in between Niall and the bass player. Anyway, I've stood in between the two of them while they're jamming. It was just the best thing in the world. Jamming between the bass player and the guitarist of Chic is the best thing in the world. So that was brilliant. But um, what else? Oh, Glastonbury with David Bowie watching was amazing. And then we... Ah, you were at that one, yeah. Yeah, we performed at that one. And then they put the Mondays way away from David Bowie, but they put my room, my Winnebago, whatever you call it, cabin, next to David Bowie's. So we just had the best day because it was so lovely and just chatted to me and the two friends I took with me. And he just came out and just chatted like, like he was just... Joe Normal, hey, how are you doing? Just normal. It's like, ah, I've never been so starstruck in my life and I couldn't couldn't speak. Oh, I can imagine. And it's before we had camera phones as well. So I managed to get my camera out and I took the two most, my, my favourite pictures. And I didn't even ask for a selfie. I was too nervous. I was shaking. But I got these two gorgeous pictures of him backstage, which is lovely. All the fans of Bowie love it, love them as well. And then... Uh, we went on stage, Happy Mondays, forgot all about that, all ready to go on at Glastonbury on the pyramid stage. And then I came off after I'd sung Hallelujah and he was there. So he'd been watching all the time and he went, that was really eclectic. That's amazing. I just, I, honest to goodness, I was like, I can't, I can't move. I couldn't, I, I, I've got a little dressing area at the side of the stage where I go and get changed if I want or do my bed. I couldn't do anything. I was just numb. I was like, oh, I was watching. Oh, my God, he was watching. It was fantastic. And then we obviously got to watch him and it was just one of the best gigs ever. He never looked better. Um, so that's probably my favourite gig moment to go on stage with Bowie watching us and have spent not loads of time because I was too nervous anyway, but um, I didn't want to mither him as well. Every time I spoke, something rubbish came out. I've said something like, I know I've got no chance because you're with your man. I said something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you understood what I said because I've got a very broad accent, thank God. But God loves a trial. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know. I mean, if, if, if I'd not been so starstruck, I'd have been talking about working with him, not about rubbish like that. But nothing, nothing was coming out at all. And it was just, it was just funny. Um, it was really funny. All right. Listen, last question. This is the most important one. Why is live music so important to us? Well, it's important to me because it's my life. It's everything to me. And I didn't realise how, well, I did realise sort of because I don't like not being away, not touring, not gigging. I didn't realise the big hole that it does leave when you don't know when you're going to do it again. I've always, when I've not been gigging, known that at some point I'm going to be able to do it again. And at the moment, we don't know when or, you know, in what capacity we're going to be able to do it. And it's made me look back at all the massive gigs we've done. And you know, when it doesn't matter how many people are in the audience, I know that the hardest gigs for me are usually like singing as a favour to somebody at a wedding when there's only 50 people there. That can be hard for me, you know, and trying to remember the words of this song I've just learnt specially for them or written specially for people you know. That can be harder for me because I love being on stage. 
Glastonbury Pyramid Stage is a piece of piss to me. It's 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 just the best buzz. Um, with an orchestra with Happy Mondays, I've been really, really lucky. Maracana Stadium. I've watched myself on stage doing that gig. I'm just, I don't, you know, I could be anywhere. I could be in, you know, I could be in the Hacienda. I could be in a club. I could be anywhere. I don't care that there's 198,000 people watching me. And I think that's, that's fantastic because I'm made to be on stage. It's just some, the place I'm most comfortable. I just, yeah, it's, it's where I feel most at home. So I'm lost without it and I can't wait to do it again. If I have to come to Australia, I'll have to come to Australia to sing there if you let me in again. We can't wait to have you. Um, listen, Roetta, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and giving me some amazing answers and amazing anecdotes there. It's such an amazing career. Obviously, you've got your singles out, so I'll put links in there and just direct people to that. Hopefully people can listen to your music as well. Is there anything else you want to share? Just keep look, uh, looking out for what I'm doing now. Last year, I recorded loads and they're all about to come out this year at some point. There's a tune with Paul Weller coming out. Amorphous Androgynous is a project. I was meant to ask you about that. What, what is that? Sounds incredible. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's going to be incredible. I mean, at the minute, Gary Cobain, who's who produced it all, is a morphous androgynous. He used to be, oh, he still is, Future Sound of London. But it's his his project. Me and Paul Weller on vocals. Everybody writes their own bits. It's Noel Gallagher on drums and bass. Steve Craddock on guitar. Kate Bush's nephews on violin. Is these loads of orchestras. Bit, orchestra bits it's taken three years to do but Gary Cobain said it's looking like April so it probably won't be April obviously but it's looking like this year and it, so it's nearly there and I can't, I've not heard the final mix but he said it could end up being a 40 minute single it'll either be called Mantra or Crossing Over because at the moment it's Crossing Over slash Mantra is the working title I think it's going to be Mantra but it's yeah he said at the moment so obviously he's not finished mixing final mix isn't there because he's not sent it us to here but um, he's saying at the moment it is a 40 minute single well I've heard some of his remix of Noel Gallagher's stuff as well and that's incredible and then they're they're lengthy as well and didn't he do an album with Noel that just got kind of not put in the bin but just just parked yeah and I think Noel Noel did an interview and saying something like he found it in a sock drawer he's found it again and I didn't know there'd been some kind of problems because they did an album together that never was released so I was like I didn't think about there might be a problem between Noel and Gary. So I was saying, and guess who else is on it? Because everyone knew it was doing a track with Paul Weller because we put on little clips on the internet, little clips of Paul singing up Stanley Road, me singing my bits at my friend's place, Marley Mancunia Studios. And um, yeah, and, and it was just really, really weird. I started to say, and Noel Gallagher's on drums and bass. But I hadn't been told that was okay to say. And I was just so excited. Make sure that comes out. Yeah. So I, th- I think I made a little push where he had to speak. I think they had to speak to each other. So anyway, so because Paul Weller's friends with Noel, so he's probably had a word and said, you know, let's sort this out. Yeah. So I'm so, so excited. It's coming. It's coming. I'm just going to keep mentioning it again because I go, I don't mention it for a while. As soon as I mention it, then he, but, he, but at Christmas it was, he said, it's looking like April. So I didn't ask this time. I just wished him happy Christmas, hoping he'd mention maybe this single. So I've done a few things with him. Um, I did something with the Kooks with him as well. But this is the big one. I said at the time, it's the best thing I've ever done. You know, and I've done I've done some good stuff since as well. But this is special. It's like Tomorrow Never Knows of the Beatles, which is my favourite Beatles track. Oh, it's wow. huge. It's epic. It, I mean, I've not heard the final mix, but I reckon it could be even better and bigger because it will be. I spent so long on it. I don't know how you can spend three years doing a tune, but it'll be worth it. Oh, Roetta, make sure that comes out, please. Definitely. It will. It's definitely. He's brought out whatever was coming out before it. He's brought that out. So it's happening. I never thought that because he always had an order and bringing them out. And what, the, the one before it has just come out with Morvis Androgynous. So I thought that had never come out. And if that doesn't come out, then ours won't come out. But that's been out. That came out last year. So it'll come out this time, sometime this year. Hopefully April. Never, Good. Yeah. Great. All right. 
Listen, thank you so much again, Roberta, and have a wonderful day, and thank you so much for your time. If you need anything else, just let me know. Will do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. So how about that? So many great stories. And what a career Roetta has had and is still having. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. If you did, I'd be very grateful if you could jump onto Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a follow or a subscribe. That way you'd be the first to know when new episodes come out. And if you really liked it, a cheeky little share on social media would mean a lot as well. So yeah, please jump on, do what you can, help get the podcast out there. It would mean a lot. All right, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Thanks for checking this one out. So until then, we'll see you later.